So Philippians chapter 1, I want to remind you just of, of where we are in, in this uh, book. Paul's been talking to them about living a life that brings glory to God. He, he talked to them about how even though he's suffering in prison, that God is even using those hard circumstances, those difficult circumstances to advance the gospel that even though Paul is, is in chains, the word of God is not chained, the word of God is not bound, and God is even working in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations. You know, it's not that when we come to Christ, our life is, is worry-free and carefree, and we just float around on a cloud until he takes us up to heaven. No, that, that Jesus said there would be tribulation in the world, but that Christ has overcome the world. And so Paul says, though I am suffering this tribulation, I see the gospel advancing, and in that I rejoice. And then last week, we saw him utter this astounding statement. In verse 21, he said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This idea that as we live in, in our bodies, that, that we live for Christ, that in fact, it's not even supposed to be us who's living our lives, but Christ who's living through us. And that when we pass from this life into the next, it is truly gain for the believer because we are set free from this mortal body. We're set free of, of this body of sin, this, the, the temptations that we all face, and we are face to face with our Lord and Savior, that we are with the Lord uh, just as we talked about just a few minutes ago, Sister Verna, with the Lord today. She lived for Christ, and then when, when she died, it was gained, and so it will be for every true believer in Jesus. And so this brings us now to verse 27, where we're going to uh, read this morning. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or I am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Lord, give us ears to hear from you today. Uh, Lord, we've gathered here in your name. Your presence is here with us. Lord, we've gathered here to meet with you, to, to spend time with you, to be in your presence today, uh, to be changed by you, to, to, to be encouraged by your word. I, I pray that you would speak to each heart that is here today by your spirit. Lord, that you would use my words to communicate something so much uh, more profound than any word or thought that I have to communicate, that, that it would truly be your words that are speaking uh, to your people today. Lord, you've called us out from the world. You've, you've separated us. Lord, we are, are, are not a part of the world. We're a part of your kingdom. 
a kingdom without end. We have you as our king. You rule and reign over us. You rule and reign over our lives. Lord, any area of our life that, that we have not submitted to you, any area of our life that is, is outside of your rule and reign, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to submit that area of our life to your lordship, to, to, to you as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, that we would do so to bring honor and glory to you, that we would do so for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory. Lord, your name that is holy, you who are high and exalted, you who are high and lifted up. Lord, that when the world sees your church, that they would see a church that represents you well. Lord, not a church that is divided, not a church that is so riddled with sin and so marred with compromise. Lord, that, that the, when the world sees the church, they would truly see something different. Lord, not something that reflects them, but something that reflects you as we have been created in your image and we are being formed and fashioned into the image of Christ. Help us, Lord, through our time in your word to move closer and closer uh, to being the people that you have called us to be that your word would sanctify us today. It would have a cleansing effect in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul begins this passage by, with the word only, which is to say above all else. He, he, he sets this, this passage, he sets this, this next thought and idea apart from all of the other thoughts and ideas that he's, he's brought to, to the forefront so far in this letter. And he says, only, above all else, of preeminence, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This idea is a, is a staggering idea. If, if you will stop and meditate on this phrase, it is a, a sobering thought that all of us who have put our faith in Christ, and, and I hope that that would be your testimony today. I hope that as you're here on Sunday morning, gathered with the people of God, that, that you are someone who has put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And so as people of faith, as people of part of the family of God, he, he says that our lives, that we should live our lives, that we should conduct ourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do you feel the weight of that statement? Do you feel how that is a, a sobering thought, a weighty statement? It's not a burden. I'm not trying to lay a burden upon you, but it is weighty and it is sobering. The gospel of Christ, well, what is the gospel of Christ? It's the good news. It's the good news about what God has accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. It is good news. And what has Jesus accomplished for us? Salvation. Salvation. Forgiveness of sin. Cleansing our soul. Wiping our slate clean. That we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. That all of us have sinned and fallen short, woefully short 
of the glory of God. God's holy and righteous standard. We've all chosen to go our own way. The Bible says all of us like sheep has gone astray. We've all rebelled against God. We're, we're born into sin. We're sinners by nature. But we're also sinners by choice. We have all chosen sin. We know God's righteous law. We know God's righteous standard. And we've all chosen at times and points in our lives to go our own way. To, to follow the doctrine of the world that says follow your own heart. We've all done it. Because of that, we're all sinners. Because of that, we are all separated from God. Because of that, we all live under the judgment of a righteous and holy God. Because of that, we are all guilty and marred and stained as rebels against God. But God, but God, because of his rich love for us, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That Jesus came from heaven to earth, born of the virgin, born and laid in a manger, came from glory and born in humility, lived a life without sin, Never once lied, never once stole, never once cheated, never once entertained a lustful thought, fulfilled the law of God perfectly, did what you and I should have done, but could not and would not do. And then he went to the cross willingly to lay down his life on your behalf. Now, not in some general sense, but in a specific sense. God has called you by name. The Bible says that in the book of Revelation that, that God's people's names have been written in the Lamb's book of life since before the foundation of the world. Jesus died for your sin. Not in some general sense, in a specific sense. For the sins of his people, he died. To redeem his bride, he died. He laid down his life because of his love for you. For you, he has set his love upon you from all eternity past, the Bible says. That he has set his love upon us. And then he rose again on that third day. He rose again in victory. Because death could not hold him down. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He paid the price for the wrath of God, which we all justly deserve. But it was laid upon him at the cross. The cross where, where humanity and divinity come together. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Drawing us now who are in Christ drawing us up into a relationship with the Father. Not based on our own works, which are as filthy rags. The best we have to offer God is filthy rags, our righteousness. But based upon the work of Christ, we are now reconciled to God. We are now brought into the family of God. 
The separation that existed between us and God has been removed through Jesus Christ. And we experience salvation, we experience redemption, we experience joy and peace and life eternal. The hope of the resurrection is ours. The hope of the return of Christ is ours. Though we still live in a broken world, a world that is still marred by sin, marred by injustice, marred by evil, powerful people who wield their power in ungodly ways, yet... Christ will return one day and he will judge evil and he will judge sin and he will cast Satan and sin and death and hell into Hades, into the lake that burns with fire for all eternity. And he will establish his kingdom on the earth of which you and I are a part and we will live with him forever. That is the gospel that is the gospel. And all who would repent of their sins and receive Christ can share in the rewards of Christ, can share in the blessing of Christ, can share in that eternal life of Christ. All who would forsake their sin and embrace Christ receive all that Christ had purchased on the cross. And now here Paul writes to those who have received the gospel. He says, let your manner of life, let your conduct, let the way you live your life, let it be worthy of the price that was paid to redeem it. Live your life that way. It is a weighty statement. It is a sobering thought. It dispels of all notions of some sort of casual Christianity. There's no such thing as a, as a casual Christian. You either live for Christ or you don't. You either serve Christ or you don't. You, you can't, it doesn't make sense in any situation whatsoever to serve Christ in one area of your life and not to serve him in every area of your life. If he is worth serving in even the slightest area, he's worth serving in every area. There's no such thing as this sort of casual Christian that, you know, reads their Bible once a year or goes to church once a year or, or prays once a year or thinks about God once a year. No, there's, there's no such thing as that. You either live for Christ, pedal to the metal, full bore. He redeemed me. He purchased me. He saved me. He's going to raise me again on that day when he returns. I will live forever with him. And I'm living for him now or I'm not. There's no other way to live. And so we must forsake sin in every area of our life. Because the power of sin has been broken. It is broken off of our lives. Before Christ saved us, we were slaves to sin, in bondage to sin, in bondage to Satan. The Bible calls that iniquity. We had a natural bent towards sin. But when Christ saves us, he sets us free of the power of sin, the power of sin broken in our lives so that we can now live for Christ. The Bible says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free to live for him. 
And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I living my life worthy of the gospel? This is something we are all supposed to be doing. This isn't something for some like super Christian or super apostle or just for pastors or professional clergy people. No, we must all live a life worthy of the gospel. This is not some idea that I woke up with this morning. This is written down for God's people in the pages of scripture. And it's not only here, mind you, let me, let me show you that this is a theme that runs throughout all the New Testament. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Colossians 1.10, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. This is the thrust for the people of God, that we would live lives that are holy as unto the Lord. That we would not live lives of compromise. That we would not use the grace of God as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! There's this horrible thought going around that, well, I'm saved by grace, and so that means I can just sin as much as I want to sin. No. Why, who we who have been set free of sin, forgiven of sin, why would we continue to live in it any longer? Living a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the one who redeemed us. Now, while this statement is a sobering statement, it's also really, really good news. Because in this one statement, we see a contrast. In this one statement, we see a, a clear difference between the true gospel of Jesus Christ and every other religion on the face of the earth. You see, there are not two, there, no, I'm sorry, there, there's not many different religions in the world. There's actually only two real thoughts, only two real religions. There's God's religion, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's man-made religion. And, and they all fall into, the, every other religion other than the gospel of Christ fall into the same religion. It is this, work hard that God would love you. Work hard to earn your salvation. Work hard to make yourself good enough, pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And if you work hard enough, if you do the right things, if you pray the right prayers, if you do the right work, if you cleanse yourself of your sin, then maybe God will accept you. That's every single other religion on the face of the earth other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the reason the gospel is called the gospel is because that, my friends, this other religion is bad news. Because you can't clean yourself up. Because you can't, as hard as you try, you can never make yourself right before a holy God. And so all of those other religions are truly bad news that keep people in bondage to a system that cannot save them. But the gospel is different. Those who preach these legalistic religions, and they are all the same in their essence, Islam, uh, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, uh, pantheism, uh, these ideas of even Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, which would call themselves Christians, but they're not. They themselves even teach this idea that you must clean yourself up, that you must do work for your salvation, this legalism. But it's so clear in this passage that that is not the gospel that Paul is talking about. We see the difference clearly. Those who preach legalism would have you perfect yourself in order to be saved, that you make yourself worthy by your own good works. But that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, in fact, is the complete opposite. The gospel of Jesus is that you are not worthy. You see, the gospel of every other religion says, make yourself worthy. The the true gospel says, you're not worthy. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. It is to be received as a free gift that you are not worthy of. But having received this gift, now live a life that is worthy of the gift you have received. Do you see how it's totally different? One says, make yourself worthy. The other says, you can't. One says, if you do these good works, then God will love you. These other one says, God loves you in spite of your evil works. But now, having received God's love, we do work hard for the Lord. We do live for the Lord, not to earn God's love, but because we have received God's love. Not to earn the grace of God, but because we have received the grace of God. The doctrines of grace urge us to a life of holiness, but for a completely different reason. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And if you have believed upon Christ, you are, in fact, saved. Commenting on this very passage, uh, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, lead your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You have been saved by it. You profess to glory in it. You desire to extend it. Let then your lives be such as reflect it. We don't obey the Lord in order to go to heaven. We obey because our names are written in heaven and because we are citizens of heaven. How ought a citizen of heaven to live? That's the question. Paul says we should live that way. We are not worthy of this call. But God has set his love upon us. He has called us by his grace. How then are we to live worthy of the gospel? 
He goes on to, to list in this passage some ways that we can demonstrate, some ways that, that this plays out, should play out in our lives. And, and really, as he gives instructions in, in the rest of the book of Philippians, he's, he, he's hammering home this idea of living a life worthy of the gospel. Notice here first, the, the first thing he goes into is he talks to them about living in unity with one another. Living in unity with one another is one of the ways that the body of Christ lives worthy of the gospel. Being united now in Christ. He says, whether I come to you and see you or am absent and hear about you, he says, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel. Really, actually, even before he begins to talk about unity, one of the, the first way he talks about living for the Lord is standing firm. Standing firm. What that means is that we, we keep our feet planted. We... we, we we have a firm foundation. It's, it's the, 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 the solid foundation of Christ and the gospel and, and the word of God. And, and, and though there may be storms in life, though the, the, the winds of culture and the, and the winds of, of what is popular today and not popular tomorrow, though those things change and, and those, those things may beat against us, we stand firm on the word of God. We do not waver based on the poles. We, we do not waver and, and change what we believe simply on what is popular in the culture today. To live a life worthy of the gospel means standing firm. Standing firm, unwavering, unapologetically standing firm on the word of God. We live in a culture, of course, that rejects the word of God. It didn't used to be that way. For, for a, a, a large season of, of the history in our culture, it was the, the, the morality of the Bible was, was accepted norms within the culture. But it's not that way anymore. And Christians got to wake up. It's not that way anymore. The culture rejects the word of God. Why do they do that? Because they have rejected the God of the word. That's why they reject this book. It's because God wrote it and they have rejected God, the creator. But just because the culture goes that way, does the church go that way? No. We stand firm. We stand our ground. We, we do not bow. We do not give in. We do not capitulate. No, no matter what the pressure is put on the church, we stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand on the word of God. Amen. We stand firm, unwavering. I don't know what new fad will be in 2022, but more than likely it will be in direct opposition to the word of God. And we, we just have to accept it, ladies and gentlemen, that when we come to Christ, we're part of a different kingdom. We're part of a different value system. We're, 
We're not going to be accepted by the world. In fact, the Bible says Jesus said that we would be hated by all men for the sake of his name. We, we just got to accept it. We, we can't try to, 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 to try and find some sort of middle ground that we can live pleasing to God and pleasing to the world. It's not going to happen. We, we, we must forget this idea and some sort of fairy tale idea that we will be accepted by the world. No, the Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? The, the closer you draw to Christ, the more the world will hate you. Amen. Which is why we need the people of God in our lives more than ever. Because we're going to be rejected by the world. I know it's a sort of a strange idea in the nation we live in, uh, uh, such a, a nation with so much freedom. But again, as I, you know, preached a message on July 4th of this year, that freedom is God's idea. Freedom is God's idea. So the, the more a nation walks away from God, the less free that nation will be. It, it just goes hand in hand. You, you can't throw away God, the foundation, and still expect to hold on to the results that came from serving God. It will not happen. I believe the day is coming, possibly. If, if, if the Lord does not bring a revival upon this land, which I pray that he does. I pray that he does. I pray that you are praying that he does. There could, there could come a day where we're living like Daniel in Babylon. Where our neighbors are turning us in when we pray. It could, could come to that. We think, oh, that can never happen. It's happened over and over and over and over again. And the question is, will you stand firm? Will you stand firm? If you're not standing firm under the, uh, under the light pressure that we're under today, the, the pressure of being canceled or being fired or whatever, if you're not standing firm under that pressure, I, I, I highly doubt you'll stand firm in that day when the pressure's really on. The, these last two years have been a test. They've been a test for the church. And I thank God for this test because I think it's shown some people, hey, you know what? My faith was lacking in this area and I, 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 I really got really to get serious with God. I, I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for these, these tests that he puts us through. Uh, and I pray, I pray to God that a sweeping revival would come across this land. But listen, it's not going to happen by the church being silent. Let me tell you that. It's not going to happen when we capitulate to the dictates of insanity. It's not going to happen when we... Don't do like Jesus said, let your light shine before men. It, there, there will be no revival if the church stays silent. 
the church must stand and stand united on the word of God. I'm not talking about politics. I, I, I just get the sense that there's some of you here today that think I'm talking about politics. I'm not talking about politics. I'm, I'm talking about us standing in our daily lives for the word of God, for Christ, speaking up. When we see things that are, are going the wrong way, when we see things in our family, in our, in our lives, whatever, whatever place that God has placed you, you, you understand that God has placed you where you're at. It's not an accident that you were born into the family you were born into, that you live on the street that you live on, that you work at the place that you work. None of those things are an accident. You are there, placed there by God. And what I'm talking about is speaking up, shining the light. Speaking truth, not being angry. We speak the truth in love, but we also have conviction. Not condemning people. People are already condemned in their sin. There's only one hope of forgiveness. It's Christ. The Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so we must stand Firm. We must stand firm. This is the point every Sunday where I'm trying to figure, figure out if I'm going to finish my sermon or not. <laughs> or just save it. Ah, there's three of you telling me preach and the rest are saying they want to go to lunch. So, But... but we must stand firm. Have you made that decision in your life? Have, have, you, have you come to that realization? You know, I remember when I was, FYI, I decided not to finish it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it. Um, I remember when I was in high school, this uh, really a... Uh, a tipping point kind of event happened that shocked the nation. Absolutely shocked the nation. And nothing like this had ever happened before. And it was the tragedy that happened at Columbine High School where these two armed High schoolers went into the high school and they murdered their classmates. It, it shocked the nation. We, we'd never seen anything like that before. Unfortunately, it's become all too common. Unfortunately, at any given week, an event just like that will happen and it's just part of life in America today. But Columbine was really the, the first one of those kinds of events. And I remember shortly after that, the, these stories began to come out about what actually happened on that day. And that these two young men, possessed by, whether demons or not, they were possessed by a demonic ideology. They went from classroom to classroom, from student to student, 
placing guns to high schoolers' heads and saying, do you confess Jesus Christ? And the story came out of this young girl that on that day, when she was presented with the choice of living to see tomorrow, of of possibly living to see her mother and father and family again, the possibility of living out the rest of her life on one end of the scale and on the other end of the scale, denying her Lord and Savior. When presented with that choice, she chose to say, yes, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. At which point, the gunman fired his round and took her life. An incredible choice. And I remember as a, as a, as a young man in high school, those stories began to come out and the youth groups across America began telling her story and asking the question, if you were, if you were placed in that same sort of position, what would you say? What would you say? And I know that's sort of a, this is, this is not a kind of happy-go-lucky sermon today. Nevertheless, it's the reality that, that our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world today live under that reality every single day. The persecuted church is not something that was simply in Acts, the book of Acts. The persecuted church has not stopped. It's, the enemy has, has been persecuting the church for the last 2,000 years. And interestingly enough, in our passage today, it says, not only have we been granted belief in Christ, but we've also been granted to suffer with Christ. That this is not some sort of small sub-theme of the Christian life. This is constantly at the forefront. Suffering for the sake of Christ, willing, willing, if it ever would come to that, that we would not deny the one who purchased us. And the truth is, as you sit here this morning, as you evaluate your own heart, what would you say on that day? I I believe that all of us would say, I hope I would say, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. I, I hope that in your heart you would say that you hope you would say that. But if it is your hope that you would say that, and it is your hope that in presented with that choice that you would die for Christ and die willingly for Christ, why wouldn't you live for him now? If you would die for him, why wouldn't you live for him? And that's what he's talking about. To live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we would die for him, and I think that would all be our hope, 
how much more should we live for him? In Matthew chapter 10, I want to read one more passage today in closing. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. This whole section Jesus is talking about, he's, he's preparing his disciples for the persecution that, that they will face. He begins this section in verse 16 saying, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians have that backwards. They're innocent as serpents and they're wise as doves. No, no, no. We have to be wise. We have to be shrewd. We, have, we can't be so naive. There's dark spiritual forces in the world that are working. We, we can't be so naive to just think that people who claim to be neutral are in fact neutral. Because if you, if you reject Christ, you, you reject it all. So he, he goes on to say, in, it's verse 28, He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, if you, if you truly live with the fear of God, you will not live with the fear of man. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In verse 32, he says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 38, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus talking about living life, bearing a cross, that, that we have died to this world, that this, this world has no power over us because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have the fear of God, and I'm going to serve him. Whatever everybody else wants to do, Whatever everybody else wants to do to me, say to me, cancel this, cancel that, blah, blah, blah. I fear God. I don't, I don't fear anybody else. What can man do to me? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray that you would bless it that you would multiply it, that you would help us to live for your glory. Lord, that you would have taken this few moments that we had to stop, to pause, to ponder, to consider our lives, how we are living them, whether or not they're worthy of your redemptive prize. Father, if there's anyone here today that has examined their life and 
They do not know whether they are part of the faith, whether they do not know whether they have received salvation, if they're part of your kingdom. I, I pray that right now by your spirit you would convict them of their sin. Lord, that you would grant them the gift of faith and that they would call upon you for salvation. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to live for you, to live a life worthy of the price that was paid to redeem it. In Jesus' name, amen.